0: What's up, everybody? This is Tanner from TAMANBASEBALLFAN.COM. I am doing an old-school-type podcast here. When I first started, I would uh, just kind of walk around my neighborhood at night and just talk on my phone. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. Uh, Man, okay, so let's jump right into this here. So first of all, I've been hearing a lot of people uh, that are like just... Terrified out of their minds. <laughs> is the card market crashing? The sky's falling. What's going on? What's going on? Uh, I wanted to address that <laughs> because I think people have lost their ever-loving minds. Um I think it's uh I think it's a good idea to talk about it a little bit. Um especially for people uh that have been uh n- they're new to the hobby. Um, and I'm sorry for the dogs barking in the background. <laughs> Apparently, I've uh, come across Dog Row here, so I'm gonna cross the street. But um, anyway, so a lot of these uh, newbie uh, collectors slash pseudo investors have come in, and uh, you know, and first of all, let me tell you this: like, there's a lot of people that that kind of look at these guys with scorn. Um, I don't know why. I like seeing new people come into the, into the hobby. Um, I know there's a lot of people that will uh, be upset because, oh, there's just these money grubbing people. They're just in it for investing, but y'all like this hobby is so amazing. If somebody comes in just looking for money, they're going to fall in love with it. (laughs) And it's going to be not just a mechanism anymore to make money. It's going to, it's going to be something that they're going to enjoy as a hobby. I think, especially if they have roots in it as a kid. Um, but anyway, so all that to say, like I said, Facebook, Twitter, the forums. I have seen all kinds of questions about this, and these people are ridiculed and mocked. And there are people saying, "Yes, you're right, it's crashing." Others are saying, uh, "No, it's not crashing. It's uh, you know this, that, and the other." So I kind of wanted to give my perspective on it, and. I'm going to give an example uh, because this example is used by many people uh, because it's the most blaringly obvious one um, that's just kind of come to completion uh, over the past few days. So back in, I believe it was February or March, there were a couple 1986 Fleer, Michael Jordan, PSA 10s. Now I know that's basketball. It's not baseball and I'm a baseball guy, but this is a very good example. Uh, the two sold for around uh i think it was seven hundred and thirty thousand dollars each or something like just crazy 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 like insane money right and guess what one i think just sold uh the auction ended yesterday for one at $180,000. so for anybody that's just looking at the numbers they're thinking well the market's crashed. Like, how could something that's, uh, you know, that once sold for hundreds of thousands dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars more, uh, just got a fraction of that? Uh, you know, what's going on? What's up with that? Well, my thinking is that you really kind of have to step back a little bit and look at the timeline from uh, uh, which we are on. And so when you do that, you look and see that the Jordans used to sell uh, for substantially less. So that hundred eighty thousand dollars, even though it's significantly lower than the seven hundred thirty thousand or whatever it went for, uh, like once or twice uh, a few months ago, um, is still quite a bit more uh, than what it was, you know, like two years ago. So you gotta think of of this. And here's another example: um, nineteen eighty tops ricky henderson psa nines so there's a lot of them uh i think i don't don't know what the pop report is but they used to sell uh there at one point in february or march i think they were bringing in i think a couple of them hit like seven eight nine thousand dollars or something um, if i remember correctly and now i think they're in the two thousand dollar range which is still uh you know wildly more than what they were Uh, A couple years ago and so what I think we saw in February March I think we just hit like a fever pitch where there are people that were just uh, spending an incredible amount of money and some of these hit all-time records now uh, so does that mean that's crashing since we're not continuing to go up no Um, I don't believe so I think what happened is this I think some people saw these record-breaking prices and they go hey i've got that card i spent x amount of dollars for this uh if i can get y amount now i'm going to go for it so uh just like that the market becomes flooded with these cards the a6 Flair jordan psa 10 for instance uh you know y'all there's not like only three or four copies out there the pop report shows it's got over there over 300 of those PSA 10s. Um, So, to think that there's over 300 buyers at the $700,000 plus mark uh, for that card um, might not be reasonable today. Now, (laughs) this conversation might be completely different this time next year, five years from now, 10 years from now. But for now, I don't believe that's the case and I think that's what the market has shown. So, uh, if there have not been a significant number of PSA tens have sold between the 700 plus thousand dollar sales and the 180 thousand dollar sale from yesterday or wherever it was. Um, I don't think we would have seen necessarily the 180 thousand dollar sale. I think that 180 thousand dollar sale would be much higher. As a matter of fact, I think Golden Auctions has, and that's another thing by the way. I think there's uh, at Golden Auctions. I think there's one that's currently sitting at a current bid of 180 thousand or something similar. Uh, if I remember correctly I think that's what I heard earlier So um, and probably eBay was not the right venue <laughs> to sell a PSA10 6 Fleer Jordan at auction I, yeah, I could be wrong but I don't think it's the best place for it I think maybe an auction house would have been much better. Uh, so um, anyways I think it's just kind of uh, uh, this is what we're, this is what's called a correction you know I think the, uh, I think there's a little bit of market correction especially for the cards that aren't really all that rare. Um, I was speaking with uh, somebody by the name of Douglas Dreier. Uh, we had a great conversation the other day. He, uh, uh, he was the former owner of the Dryer Collection with his father. And they actually had a private museum of all kinds of fascin- fascinating things, like look it up, D-R-E-I-E-R, uh, online. just fascinating fascinating collection and uh he told me something i thought was pretty interesting he said tanner here's how i measure rarity i measure rarity by the amount of time it takes you to uh find something and so he goes through a few options he said for instance let's say you want a 52 mantle uh or before that even let's say you want a canseco psa 10 rated rookie um It's not rare because if you have the money, you can literally go online now and probably pick one up. And if you can't pick one up now, surely within this next week or two, one will pop up. Uh, Let's look at a 52 tops Mantle. Um, Incredible card. It's probably the second most famous baseball card ever. However, not terribly rare. If you have the funds, you can go out and get one right now. Let's look at the T206 Wagner. Um, yeah it's a rare card okay it's uh there's i think there's probably uh i think psa's gray like 60 of them or 30 of them or i don't remember what it was uh so it, it is rare however if you have the funds you can wait you know for like six months to 12 months and there'll be one to pop up for you to buy um you know so uh when it comes to the truly rare cards like we're talking like 19th century uh, issued cards are prominent players that, uh, you know, that just aren't really, they don't pop up at all. Uh, those are cards that if they pop up, um, you know, you might be lucky to see once or twice in your lifetime, okay? So those are rare, you know, those are really rare. So I thought that Doug's uh, uh, definition of rarity was, was pretty interesting. Um, so when it comes to, an A6 Fleer Jordan PSA 10, um, you know, you think, well, there's over 300 of them graded in the PSA pop report, really not all that rare. So that does kind of, uh, you know, the, the massive sale or sales of $700 $1,000 kind of chums the water a little bit where these other owners want to try the market. I think Ken Golden himself even said, guys, look, I know the the pricing looks crazy, but uh, you know, try to spread out your sales here. (laughs) You don't want every single auction house, every single cycle having, you know, these PSA 10, A6 Fleer Jordans because it's not gonna do well for the market of that card because it's just not rare. Um, It's very, very uh, uh, valuable and highly in demand, of course, highly sought after. But, you know, look, there's hundreds of them. So, anyways, another thing I thought was kind of interesting is just it's fun to kind of look back and see where we were, where we came from, like the speculation. I remember uh, the 89 Upper Deck Griffey PSA 10. Another card that's really, I don't even remember what the pop report is on this, but, uh, you know, probably safe to say, not a rare card. Um, So, uh, I do remember... I picked one up I think at the end of twenty nineteen or early twenty twenty uh, for four hundred and fifty bucks and I think I sold it for five hundred. It's like okay, it's fifty dollar, you know, fifty dollar uh, profit there, that's not bad. And then all of a sudden whammo, like it goes up to like fifteen hundred. <laughs> I was like, no oh, man, that's awful. I can't believe that happened. I wish that I still had it at fifteen hundred. And then so uh, it stayed there for a while. And then, sure enough, a few months later, it shot up even more. And I don't remember exactly how high it got, if it was like 4000 or $5,000, but I mean, it was pretty substantial. And the A9, Griffey, A9 Upper Deck Griffey itself, uh, raw, even like just, you know, by no means rare. Like, there are stories of Upper Deck printing sheets and sheets and sheets of that card itself. Whether it's true or not, I'm not really sure, but um, Google it. There's a lot of information on those sorts of things. Really fascinating information about 89 Upper Deck, so just check it out. You'll get lost in that information. It's great stuff. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, so I looked at this and I was like, just kind of heartbroken going, man, I wish I didn't sell it for 500 bucks. <laughs> it's awful. And then so you go on, on these websites, and these websites are speculating, hey, look, there's no reason why this card shouldn't be a hundred grand. And I go, oh, and and there's something in me that started thinking, oh man, maybe I should buy another one. Even though it's like 10 times the price of what I sold it for. If it goes to a hundred grand, you know, man, I'd die. You know, that'd be awful if I, if I had one and, and it was just like a bad story of, yeah, I sold a hundred thousand dollar card for 500 bucks once upon a time. And, you know that'd be my sob story and <laughs> certainly a sob story that passes up all the multiple sob stories i have about selling my trout <laughs> and you know and i don't want to i don't want to have to have any sob stories that surpass any of those so um anyway so i'm reading it and then you know you kind of have whenever you do this you you create yourself uh, like an echo chamber and uh, all the owners of the PSA Ten Griffiths were you know saying yeah that sounds right i i don't see any reason why it shouldn't be. And of course, everybody wants to, you know, think that if they don't have that card, uh, or if they do have that card, they want to have their, you know, four or $5,000 card shoot up to $100,000. And it was at a point where there was such a monumental skyrocketing of the price of that card along with all the others, it made me think maybe that is gonna happen. You know, like, what on earth is going on here with these prices? Well, guess what? It didn't. Um, as a matter of fact, it came down. Nowadays, you can get it for between $2,000 and $2,500. And uh, you know, so it's, uh, it's a card that has lost, I think, probably about a half of its value, quote unquote, um, over the past few months. But again, step back from the timeline a little bit so you can get a better feel of the landscape of where we've come from. We're looking at early 2020 late 2019 that card was four to five hundred dollars so it is still way up and it doesn't seem like it's going to cool back down so i think this correction uh the way i like to think of it is like kind of like the sun you know like let's say you have the sun at like you know <laughs> i'm going to give stupid uh, stupid numbers here because i know nothing about the sun but like let's say it's a hundred thousand degrees right and then all of a sudden you have like these massive flares that go up to the, the hot flares, the hot flashes. They, they go up to like 500,000 degrees, but it's just like a blip. But it actually ends up heating the entire sun to like 190,000 degrees or 200,000 degrees or whatever it is. But, you know, people start thinking, well, that one little flash, you know, that's what the established price was. The 500,000 degrees is is how hot the sun is. Well, no, no, no. It's just... That was a little flare up you know so but on the other hand you could tell that everything else is quite a bit hotter so uh, i like to think that way with the baseball cards i think that there's just a little bit of a flare that happened in february march and overall we've got a lot of people uh, a lot more people now uh, that are in the hobby and that they love it and i don't want them to get scared off know because it really is such a fantastic hobby so i think uh, it's one of those things where we need to be accommodating to these new people uh, help them out guide them educate them and uh, really kind of guide them through uh, the path of realizing that you know this is a hobby and it can be fun it can be fulfilling it can be enjoyable and yeah you can make money off of it yeah it's great Um, I've made a good amount of money on the hobby myself, but you know, first and foremost, I would say it's probably because I love this hobby so much. And so I think if we can get more people in that mindset, I think everybody wins, you know, this isn't like a, uh, get rich quick hobby, you know, or anything like that. This is something that, uh, uh, you know, you could just truly just sit back and enjoy and just have a blast with. I think the comic book hobby, uh, like the community of comic book collectors, they, I think they kind of get this a little more than the card uh, guys do, to be honest with you. So, um, because you have these people that, they love some of these comics just to death, and they just, uh, you know, they'd rather sell their right arm than, you know, sell any of their books. But, uh, uh, you know, because of that, it's a lot easier uh, for them to negotiate and uh, stay at the price that they want. Instead of like, you know, with cards, you don't really see that a whole lot. You see, uh, you see all kinds of crazy prices that people come in with the offers and counter offers and so on and so forth. So I just noticed it's kind of like a, a stark contrast between cards and comics like that. But um, anyway, so I guess I'll end off with this. I got an email this morning. Somebody said that they uh, were reading a book, I think it was, about investing in baseball cards. And they asked me what my recommendation was. And so I'll probably extrapolate it out a little more, uh, here than I did in the email, but, uh, I've always been, uh, well, at least for the past few years, I've been a very, very big, uh, uh, believer in pre-war baseball, uh, that is, uh, of key cards that have been graded low, but with high eye appeal. And, you know, the very first question that that person asked me after that was like, what does that mean? So, well, let's take, for instance, uh, you know, a Thai Cobb, a T-206 green Thai Cobb portrait. Um, it's a key card because it's T-206 Cobb. It's pre-war because it's before World War II. And, uh, you know, so there's not a whole lot of them out there. Uh, but... Uh, you know again still not really rare either though so there's there's a lot of them that like if you want a green cob you can get a green cob Uh, it'll just take you a lot a long time to make sure you get the right one of course but uh, low numerical grade you could get one in a one or a two and you have to look at it if it's got a good eye appeal or not so there are ones and twos that can look awful they can have severely rounded corners they could have significant creasing uh they can have all kinds of things happen with them where they just look like they've been run over and you know put through the laundry and (laughs) and everything so um there are some on the other hand that might be graded a one that have like you know perhaps uh, a little bit of paper loss on the back i think people want to put that type of a one on their shelf much more than they would with uh someone with like a, or a card with all kinds of wrinkles in it. So, you know, so that's kind of my suggestion. Uh, I would definitely not give out any, you know, investment advice, so to speak, because we just don't know, <laughs> you know, we just don't know what's going to happen. However, I think what we have learned is that, uh, you know, if you have a card that's high in demand, uh, the, the quantity available, uh, just, you know, anything when it comes to economics, uh, you know, the quantity available is really kind of going to dictate a lot of times uh, at least in the short run how, uh, how well those cards will do. So if you have some cards that are like uh, pretty rare but high in demand, then you know, I don't think we're going to see too many of those with the bottoms dropping out. So I think we've seen lower grade 33 Gaudi roofs, for example, I think they've actually held up uh, pretty well uh, over the past uh, several months because there's not a boatload of them out there. Um, so anyways, I mean, those are kind of a few of my thoughts. And of course, uh, my final thought to this guy that was asking me these questions was this. Um, if you uh, stick with what you love in this hobby, then regardless of where the market quote-unquote goes, you'll still be happy. So, And let me, let me give you an example of what that means. If you're into pre-war, like I am and don't really give a whole lot of, uh, care about, uh, you know, in cards, like let's say, um, uh, you know, Vlad Guerrero, junior rookie, let's say you don't care about those or the Atani's or the Acuna's. Uh, I mean, I love them as players, but it doesn't really do a whole lot for me personally to own those. So let's say I put $10,000 in these guys. Okay. And all of a sudden, Acuna breaks his ankle. Uh, Guerrero gets a horrible case of COVID and has to be out for a couple months. And then Otani has to get Tommy John surgery again or something, you know, like, uh, or let's just say the market just goes crazy and all of them drop across the board. And let's say my investment of $10,000 drops a couple of grand. Uh, That would be unfortunate, of course. And, If I don't really have a heart investment, an emotional investment in these guys, uh, which, by the way, can happen after you make these purchases, but it's based upon their performance and the cards pricing (laughs) and how they do in the market, um, then that would be a tough pill to swallow. However, if you uh, take that same money and you put it into something that you love, let's say, for instance, for me is uh, Honest Wagner. Ty Cobb babe Ruth, Shell show Jackson uh, and you have those cards, then let's say something crazy happens with the market and they go down a couple thousand dollars. In the end, you're still going to have some amazing pre-work cards that you are madly in love with and will want to get more. Uh, so you know that's kind of my suggestion is uh, you know find that sweet spot find the spot of the sweet spot that you uh, think it's going to grow uh, and that you love. And if you do that, I think you're going to be okay. Uh, you know, certainly play it safe to your research as always. I mean, I preach that all the time, of course, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a fantastic hobby and I think now more than ever, this is like the greatest time ever to get into this stuff. So, uh, anyways, that's all I have for you now. Thank you guys for listening. Um, if you have any questions or comments, reach out to me, tanmanbaseballfan gmail.com. Twitter is at fan. Um, also check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash TanmanBaseballFan. And I'll oh, plug my book. Uh, check out my book on Amazon, uh, Confessions of a Baseball Card Addict. Thank you, everybody. Have a great night.